The Oil Can is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that Oiler ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. And when we talk about this, we're, we're talking mostly sports, but understand... This isn't just for sporting events. This is for music and theater. And with Rogers being such a beautiful new facility, you know how many great musical acts are attending. That's an opportunity for you to check out the prices. So make sure you do go to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Podcast. Hi there, it's Alan Mitchell, and thanks again for tuning in again. Uh, now let's head our way up, way up north to the land of the ice and snow, and Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, how are you? Together again, wouldn't miss it. <laughs> Can you you got to be sincere when you say that, John. People will think we don't <laughs> like each other. <laughs> oh boy, well we wouldn't want that. <laughs> You know, it'd be. I remember uh, reading an article about um, it was about elections and political gaffes, and and the guy who was writing it said the worst gaffes were not when you said something that wasn't true, but when you said something out loud that you meant to say in your head. I oh think yes, that applies to our personal <laughs> relationship. That's right. That's right. Why 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 we don't have that filter, John? Is maybe that's the key. I don't know. Uh, let's start here. Let's do the takeaway from the Oilers. Uh, game in Winnipeg. Your thoughts on it? Ah, I, I don't want to be lame, but I, I didn't have a lot. I thought it was just one of those nights the first line wasn't clicking. Uh, the depth, you know, I, I actually, uh, I thought the Granlin's line was pretty decent. It just, but but the depth guys as a whole were unmemorable. Mike Smith was really good, so there was that. But um, yeah, it, it to me, it was, it was sort of a humdrum game aside from a few standouts like Smith and, and Ethan Bear. I thought Ethan Bear was great. I, I like the Nurse Bear pairing. I, I, I've said this before. I think I said this on the last podcast, but it seems to me as though Bear, I don't want to say he makes Nurse better, but, but when Bear and Nurse are playing together, I notice Nurse doing more good things with the puck. I think that makes total sense. I, I, I don't think it's wrong to say he makes him better. They, they play complementary styles and... I think Nurse is a guy because he's so big and strong. You don't need, you know, uh, Eric Goodbranson or Eric, <laughs> that sort of defenseman on the on the ice next to him. If you have a guy who can really move the puck and and bring some ability, it complements Nurse's game and allows him maybe to defer a bit more than he has with partners in the past. And uh, it also, you know, gives him sort of a not a decoy exactly, but it allows him to to do things that. Maybe the opposition doesn't expect because they don't know which defenseman is going to be, you know, leading his own exit or, or what have you. Whenever I see Oscar Kleppbaum and Chris Russell, I, I find myself wondering if 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 it's just me, but I and I'm not convinced of Joel Pearson, but I, I just felt Kleffbaum's game right now is is more about defending and he sort of adopted Russell's style as opposed to what you want him to do, which is to be more of an outlet passer and a skater, it seems like they're a defending crew right now. And I, 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 
I'm not blaming Chris Russell, but it feels like they're doing a lot more defending with Russell there than they were with Pearson or, or Ethan Bear. Well, Russell's had such an interesting career, you know, like it's easy to forget that what really made him take off as an NHL defenseman was playing that arch conservative style in Calgary. And before that, he was a a more aggressive player and a guy who, if, if I remember correctly, cleared waivers. If, if, if not, he was in sort of that NHL bubble range and, and that arch conservative style got him to the league and, and got him a lot of career success, but it's not necessarily a style you want to see on your second pairing. And I think as long as you have Russell playing on his offside, it's going to be hard to get away from because that is what has uh, given him an NHL career. And if you're his partner, I I think you have to be, you know, uh, simpatico with that. So it's not ideal. You can see why the coaching staff wanted him on his strong side and uh, once they get some bodies back, you know, that's that's where he's going to end up. And I think they will be a better team for it. Yeah, I agree completely. Now, it looks like William Lagason may draw in uh, in Minnesota. It'll be his first NHL game, which is uh, kind of cool. And he likely would play with uh, Matthew Benning. What's your expectation of Lagason? Obviously, it'll be depth minutes. But what do you expect to see from him, not just in game one, but as a player in the National Hockey League? The thing I'm curious about is his puck moving because I'm not worried about his size or his strength or his ability to handle penalty kill minutes. Like he's a good defensive defenseman. I'm, I'm, I guess, a little bit nervous about his handling NHL pace because when I was watching him last year, he sometimes got beat by speed. Not, not most of the time because he's a, he's a smart guy. But it, it's something that I'm aware of and something I'm going to be watching for. But the biggest thing to me is just how well he moves the puck because it was a big part of his game at the American League level. But he's not an Ethan Bear or a Caleb Jones, and that might be something where he he takes a half a step back at the NHL level just because um, things happen faster. I uh, yeah, that, that's sort of my level of expectation for him. But I I, I don't want to hog this conversation. Like surely you are are looking and and looking for something in particular. Well, what I want to see is is pretty much a reflection of what you've said, but I'm I'm a little um, stronger on his ability based on what I've seen. I don't expect him to be a power play guy or anything like that, but I I think Lagesson may surprise with his puck moving ability. Maybe not in game one; it's going to be pretty simple that way. But I I, I like him. I, going in, I thought his skating was going to be an issue, and I thought his his passing was going to be an issue. And maybe it's just because I was surprised by both. I I'm pretty be- bullish on him. I'm not. I I think Jones is the better prospect. Don't get me wrong, but I think Lagesson may surprise, and he may be the guy uh, as we move along here that that gets shipped out at some point in time because they can't keep all of these guys. But as a as a a recall and as a guy who may play um, here, I'm going to say maybe 20 games this year, depending upon who gets hurt. I'm fascinated by this guy because he has the the least identifiable skills as far as NHL is concerned. I knew Bear would pass the puck very well. I know Jones will not be outskated by a lot of these forwards. Ligason is the the maybe the more cerebral and that's why I'm interested in seeing him play. Does he sort of remind you of Brandon Davidson just in the sense that he doesn't necessarily have a standout quality but he just does a lot of things well? Yeah, and and that's a great comparable because you know it, last year he had the most even strength points among the defensemen uh, in the AHL, uh, Condors in the AHL, which is really surprising because they had some really talented guys down there. But he's he's not a you know it's it's like um, 
when I used to pay t- close attention to baseball and scouts in baseball, they would always say the death knell for a prospect is that he's good at everything, but he's not great at anything. And I <laughs> and I think that might be Legison, but I'm not sure. I I, I want to see him. Uh, I think he might be a little more shut down, and I'm fine with that. I like shut down defensemen, but I want to see what he is. And and uh, you know, as long as I've been watching these guys. You never know until they get to the NHL, right? And they can play against uh, NHL competition. That's when you know or you don't know. And I think we're finding that about Bear right now. So if if you were to put an over-under, I'm going to throw four names at you. And if you were to set an over-under for the number of them that will play two full NHL seasons, 164 career games, and I give you Ethan Bear, Evan Bouchard, William Lagason, and Caleb Jones, how many of them do you think clear that bar? Well, that's a great question. I think Bear and Bouchard will for sure. I can't see Caleb Jones being uh, chaotic enough to to um, not clear that bar. You said two full seasons. Yep, two full seasons. Okay, I will say, I'll say Bear and Bouchard for sure. Eighty percent Jones, sixty percent Lagason. Yeah, I, I think that's about where I have it too. I I think if I pick a number, I'd say three of the four clear. And because some of the somebody's going to run into some serious injury problem or a coach that hates him or, you know, a great (laughs) KHL paycheck and he's he's looking at a two way deal in the majors. So something is going to crop up that I think will knock one of those guys off and it'll probably be be Jones or Lagason. But um, I got to say, Ethan Bear, I, I liked him. He's he's hit another level this year. And um, it's easy to be really optimistic about this group of young defensemen. And we haven't even got into, you know, Broberg and Samarukov and all the rest. It's it's a real steady pipeline and it's going to make for some tough decisions, I think, going forward. Yeah, it's it's a nice problem to have because defensemen always have value. The 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 one thing that I that I hope the orders don't do and they have in the past Miro Shatan would be an example but but even Kyle Brodziak uh, 10 years ago where you you have to identify in that case it was between Pouliot and Brodziak you decide to keep Pouliot and it's the wrong guy and and Brule Gilbert Brule too Right, exactly. And so, <laughs> so you're, they, they you're got always... two out of three wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. They it was a trifecta. Uh, but the 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 problem with these guys is like I can tell you right now. I I if you said to me, Al, you can only keep two of three of Jones, Bear, Lagason. I would keep Jones and Bear. And be, the reason is because of what we talked about with that baseball scout. Jones is never going to be, he'll be 35 by the time he slows as far as NHL is concerned. <laughs> He's fast. And Bear is always going to be able to pass the puck. Uh, Lagason, I, I just, I don't know what his strengths are, but he's a curio to me, and I'm I'm almost happy that they brought him up here, and I, I do hope they, they play him because what they usually do is they play you one or two games, and then they send you back down for you to kind of, you know, reset and get back again. And I think that's, I think Jones will be the next call up because he played a year ago. He's playing a lot down there in Bakersfield. He would be to me, the obvious choice for the next recall. I wonder if we're, and we talked about this last time we did the podcast, but I wonder if we're seeing a little bit, the lack of veteran defensemen recall options in Bakersfield, like Jones and Lagason, they're a year apart, but Jones is much more a prospect and Lagason's much more a veteran just in terms of, you know, overall upside and experience level and all those things. So I wonder if we're not seeing the whole, well, leave the kids down as far as, as long as you can and, and give the older guys a look early. Um, 
playing out on defense in, in terms of letting the guy who's a little bit older and has a little bit more experience get the first crack at it. I mean, it it's not exactly that because Lagesson also stayed later into camp, but uh, I, I think it's probably a combination of those things. Yeah, I think that's fair, and I think it's also a matter of uh, you know, Jones is a little more dynamic. One of the things that I, I just cannot wait to see as we move forward here, because if Jones comes up and plays well, and and Lagus and I guess would be in the same category, what does have to make a decision this summer, next summer? Uh, you know, Clefbaum obviously is signed. They have Russell if they don't offload him for another year. Darnell Nurse's contract, the, 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 the guys who are signing around him or near him, Morrissey and others, this contract could be a real um, problem for the Oilers based on what they might want to do up front. And I, and I do wonder if, if nurse, I'm not saying he's going to price himself out of the market, but they, they might have some attractive options if they decide to make a move there. Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. And that's actually one of the reasons that I'm like, there's a, I think it's a minority of, of fans that really like the idea of trading Darnell nurse before he gets paid. I don't actually see that as a pressure point, mostly because I think, you know, if two years down the line, you got a ton of good left shot defensemen, you can trade Darnell Nurse then if if that's, you know, the road you end up wanting to go down. There are always going to be NHL teams that pay for for a guy like that. There's always going to be teams that value um, toughness and, you know, the physical element that Nurse brings. But he's such a good skating defenseman that he's not like one of these old school shutdown guys who's going to um, get played out of the league when the pace drives up. So, I'm not too worried about that. I think in the short term, if you're looking to shed money, unless there's something huge that you can do and you just need to clear the dollars, I, I think Russell's the logical guy to move out. He's just, you know, he's he's ideally he's your number three left side defenseman, which is an entry level spot, and he's in a position where if you trade him, I, I think he makes two and a half million dollars in in terms of real money versus a four million dollar cap hit. And then a big chunk of that's in signing bonuses. So he's a guy who, assuming you can work around his 15-team no-trade clause, will be attractive to some clubs, and you can move some money off the cap and at the same time open up a slot for one of your left-side defensemen behind Nurse and Clefbaum. By the way, if you want to tune in and find out about the Minnesota Wild, uh, check out Straight from the Source source with Michael Russo, the athletics uh, podcast for the Minnesota Wild. Russo, wildly popular, John. I think he has more followers than you do. <laughs> it, that's not a high bar to clear, uh, but I, I think I think Russo is sort of the you know if you picked an NHL beat reporter to emulate in, in terms of dominating his market, he's he's the guy. He does some great stuff, and he's so he plugged does. in in Minnesota. Well, and he breaks everything, right? Like if it's a rodeo oh, yeah. news story, he's got it. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about or talk to you about today was uh, you know I always do the uh, breakout of how many points I expect the orders to get in any given month. And for October, in 14 games, I projected them to get 15 points. Well, they got 15 points, John, but in nine games. So my my annual guess for their point total was 88. And and I'm not going to change that because I always believe you, you stay with what you, you started with. But the the, the odds of a, of a 88-point team going 7-1-1 one, and one to start the year are, are fascinating to me because I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that this team is anywhere close to their record now. I think they're playing above their heads. But at what point in the season do you start to say if they continue to play, you know, even let's say they go 5-5 five and five in the next 10 and they end up 
six and one. At what point do you start to say, yeah, you know what, this looks like it's going to be either a playoff team or maybe a little above? I think you start that now, and I think you do it for the reason that you just outlined, which is, you know, if you figure that they're a 500-ish team on true talent, um, then they're 12 and six in in after 18 games. They're uh, 27 and 21 after 48 games. Like those those early points in the bank matter a ton, and uh, you don't um, just because you went seven and one doesn't mean you're going to get that one and seven stretch later. I mean, you might, but. You're you're not guaranteed it. So at this point, I think you look at them and you say, "Yeah, this is probably a playoffish team, assuming the goaltending doesn't fall apart or something equally catastrophic." Uh, I I don't know that I buy that it's more than that though, because when you look at the roster, there's still a bunch of issues that you go, "Okay, this is this is going to bite them. They're getting away with it now, mostly by playing some guys huge minutes, but." you're not going to be able to keep it up over an 82 game grind. But in terms of the playoffs, yeah, I'd, I'd be thinking right now that they're more likely than not to make the postseason. I, I was hoping I could get through this podcast without you ripping Mike Smith, but it was there. You just, you didn't mention his name, <laughs> but it was clearly there again with the Mike Smith talk. You know, I mean, <laughs> shout out does, against Winnipeg, shout out against what, Winnipeg. What, I, I said he was he great. Have, what does he have to do to please you, John? You know, like I, I mean, what? you know, I'm I'm straight from 1965. I believe goalies stay in their crease. You don't go to <laughs> Smith. Smith's been a very well, actually Koskinen too, because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't picture this start for either goalie. And you know, with goaltending, it's always what happens in the long term versus these short term blips, because guys have blips sometimes. But uh, I, I don't know how you look at those goalies as anything but uh, an exceptional story early. And and you know, kudos to both of them because. Both of them are guys who are at critical moments in their careers. Uh, Smith, in terms of staying in the NHL, and Koskinen, in terms of what he's going to be, and um, they're they both really responded early. I'm uh, I'm writing for probably well maybe later tonight, but likely more tomorrow morning. Uh, a a uh, second portion of me comparing the the 2016-17 start by the Oilers to the one that we're seeing this year. And one of the big differences, and it's it's kind of interesting because the numbers are very similar. Uh, Talbot and Gustafson in 16-17 were 7-2-0, 9-36 save percentage, and 201 goals against. And Smith-Koskinen are very similar, 7-1-1, 2-38 goals against, and a 9-29 save percentage. The difference is Talbot played 98% of the October 2016 minutes. And so far, Smith has played one more game, so he's at 55%. But it's basically been even Steven. I don't know how this is going to play out over the year, but one of the advantages this team might have over the Talbot Oilers from the 16 uh, uh, fall is that they're not relying so heavily on one or the other goalie. And maybe that'll pay off as we get towards spring. I think that's uh, there's something to that. I think... Um... Well, Ken Hitchcock said this last year and then instantly abandoned it once they traded Talbot, but he talked a lot about how in the West with the travel schedule, you need two goalies. you got to have two guys who can play. And in the Peter Shirelli era, usually it was one guy. Todd McClellan rode his horse into the ground. And I'm, I'm really, con- you know, I, I hate to say I'm convinced because I don't have data to back this up. I can't say, you know, if you play a goalie this many games, he's, he's doomed to failure or he's doomed to failure 70% of the time. But I look at that usage of Talbot and then later on Koskinen and I go, these were guys who were asked to do too much too often. 
And I, I think that's that's on the coach, and I think it had a, a detrimental impact on those goalies' performances. Now I don't have data to say that. That's that's my opinion. So I mean, you know, take it for the nothing that it's worth. But <laughs> I, I really do believe that was a factor, and it shouldn't be this year if these guys can keep doing what they're doing. What does the data say, John? <laughs> I, wait, can I can I have like one pass per podcast where I just rip off my outrageous opinion without backing it up with these pesky facts? It's so unlike you. It's so not you, John. Well, you know what it is, uh, is I, I don't usually share them. I have the same voices in my head as everybody else who watches the game do. But I, I go, no, be quiet. I'm going to look at the numbers. I'm going to see if I'm right. And I'm not going to say anything until I'm sure. But, you know, that that. Yeah, <laughs> that I've, one I'm, I've spent- I feel confident in. I've spent um, years and years now saying I'm not going to look at natural stat trick until the end of the first period, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm getting better. Well, we're, we're so spoiled now because <laughs> you used to have to manually track so much of the stuff that's on natural stat trick, and you know it's uh, it, it's a time saver. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I got asked this question and I didn't have a good answer. I do think Sam Gagne coming up is a, a a good idea. They need offense in the bottom six. But where to put him, John? Because, you know, I, I mean, Russell on the right side doesn't score a lot. That would be a spot, but he plays pretty well. Archibald is part of the penalty killing group, and he adds some speed. Uh, Chase on is on the second line now. Uh, Kara is struggling, but he also penalty kills. So, And Yurcho, to me, looks pretty good. So where would you put Sam Gagne? Where would you insert him into this lineup? Okay, so what I would do is not what the coach is going to do. And the coach probably has really good reasons and is right, and I'm probably wrong about this. So, you know, that's the, the caveat going in. I'm probably wrong as I say this. I would be sorely tempted to play Gagne at center, play him with Granlund on the wing and swap out uh, Yurcho and Russell on the right side, uh, depending on the matchup. And, you know, if you've got Russell and, and Granlund as your two wingers, those are two defensively responsible guys. Granlund can help cover some of the center deficiencies that Gagne has defensively. I, I would try and roll that and see how it works. I don't think the coaches will do that. I think they're convinced he's a winger, in which case, you know, you're kind of stuck playing him on the right side and uh, either having Yurcho on the left side or, or playing a guy like Russell or Archibald on his on his offside, which, you know, it's not such a big deal for wingers. I'm, I'm not sure if Russell's played a lot of left wing. I've mostly seen him at right wing, but um, I, I think that's what that's what I would do, and I think that's what they'll do. But I, I can just feel... I can just feel through the microphone that you are going to side with Dave Tippett over me. And for no better reason than he's probably right. <laughs> well, I, I've just seen Gagne at center so long. I remember that De- <laughs> De- De- Dello did a, uh, in his old blog, he did a um, several photographs of Gagne. He, the, the, the danger was identified in the slot and Gagne <laughs> peeled off to cover the, 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 the point. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, Crash the site, poor Sam. But I understand trying to get him into the lineup, and I don't have a good answer. So I will at least say you came up with an answer. So you're a better man than I. Am. It was it was a bad answer, but you you came up with. <laughs> but he he did play he did play center a little bit in Columbus. Like he's he's not he's not a full time, or he hasn't been a full time NHL winger in recent years. Even though I expect that that's where we see him this year. It's. Uh, we're coming up on 10 games now and this this problem of the 
the secondary scoring. We used to talk about there's only one scoring line. That's that's gone because the the Nuge line is chipping in. James Neal and Nuge are chipping in, especially on the power play. But they're g- getting some goals. Uh, well, Ryan Shea had to. Sorry, I I'm interrupting that's, that's again. But poor poor Nugent Hopkins last year was rocking like a forty percent Corsi the back half of the year yep. playing with Pulley and Kara and whatever spare parts the coaches could cobble. It sure is nice to see an Oilers second line that is holding its own in terms of not just scoring a little bit, but in terms of possession as well. Yeah, I heard that if he was gonna have one more year like that, they were gonna change his nickname to Horkoff. That's how bad it was. For, <laughs> the old Jean-Francois Jacques, uh, Patrick O'Sullivan winger <laughs> duo. Yeah, that was those were some epic days. So I'm starting to believe in in uh, uh, Shahan. I'm starting to believe in him, and I I uh, I'm not sure that Kara is the right winger. I'm not sure if Archibald is the right winger for him. But I I'm thinking the next step for Tippett and maybe Holland if he can cobble together some kind of a deal is to find guys who can because Shahan can move the puck and he's actually gotten some good looks. I'm a little surprised he hasn't scored yet, but I'm 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 I know they want penalty killers and that's a big part of the bottom six. But if he could get one, you know, reasonable decent Pisani type uh, for Shahan, I think that line might go a little bit. Yeah, I I like Shahan a lot and I agree with you. I, they've sort of been thrown in, thrown to the wolves that that whole unit, and I don't think any of his wingers have been good. I think Archibald, you know, based on his career, I really thought he could do the job. We, I don't think we've seen that through six games of, of him playing. Um, Kara has really struggled. I I expected more out of him than we've seen, and I I think there's a little bit of, of latitude there to uh, move a penalty killer out of the lineup because you have. So many of them. All three guys on that line are penalty killers. Russell's a penalty killer. Uh, Patrick Russell. Um, Granlin's a penalty killer. And then you've got Nugent Hopkins who you use on the penalty kill. That's that's six right there before you get to uh, Dreisaitl or Chase on or Cassian who've, who've done that work in the past. Like I, I think you can afford to bump one penalty killer out of the rotation and put in somebody who can generate some offense. Yeah, it's... it's um... It's something that I think may happen, and I think the Gagne recall is perhaps part of that. And I, I'm, you know, I'll be fascinated to see if he draws in in Minnesota, and uh, uh, whether Mister Chippet takes your advice and and moves Samwise in it. Uh, <laughs> he he will he center. will not, and he he will not, and he will be correct to not do it. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he's right. I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm just I've got this itch of curiosity to see Gagne down the middle. But you well, know you know what I I forgot to sorry. I'm jumping all over the map here. You mentioned Pisani. I forgot to, uh, I I always like to indulge you when you talk about Fernando Pisani. So do you think Tyler Benson is the ultimate fit for that role in the near future or near to medium future? That's a great question. And he might be, I, I, I had a scout tell me, uh, I asked him about Benson because Benson had played, uh, I think it was his his final year in Vancouver, and you know every time he came to Vancouver that or Edmonton, I wanted to see him play for the Giants. He wouldn't play; he'd be sick or ill or whatever. <laughs> and I said, I said, what is this guy? And he said, he is really good with the puck. He's really good without the puck. He'll go as far in the NHL as his feet will take him. The only negative side is is foot speed, but that that his skill level is high. And then I said. Do you think he'll ever be like a power play giant? And he said, no, I don't think so. I think he'll be a pretty good five-on-five scorer because he has high-end skill and he could play on the power play, but I don't think he's dynamic like the other players that you would expect to be on a 
a, a contending team in the National Hockey League. And that was his opinion. And and now we see him in the AHL and he got almost a point per game at 20. So you maybe think he could be a power play guy at the NHL level. My issue with Benson is if at some level, and maybe it's game 40, I would just like to see them give him 20 games, maybe even on the third line. Uh, and I know that second line left wing job is waiting there, but Nuge plays pretty tough competition based on the puck IQ numbers that I look at. So Shahan might be a little easier fit at five on five for a guy like Benson to start his NHL career. I, I don't mind either option. I, I think as long as he's and honestly, I, I don't even hate the fourth line a lot of times, but I think Benson is at a point where you can elevate him directly into a middle six role when you when you decide that he's ready to take that jump. The thing that surprised me about him was the the playmaking ability. I was um, I, I sort of expected the the strong two way play, which he he absolutely does, and he's he to me he's a guy who might end up being a second uh, second tandem PK guy, second unit power play guy, just because of his. Uh, his passing ability he's he's a really fantastic playmaker and and then he does all the things that you want from your typical third line grinding forward so to me i i'm i'm optimistic that he'll eventually be a top six player but starting him out on the third line i I don't think there anybody should have any objection to that because he'll be getting regular minutes yeah and that's i i think i don't know how far we are away from that he has five points in five games so far final one and we've only got three minutes and i i wanted to leave this until now uh, he didn't score yesterday, but Connor Yamamoto is coming, and I don't I don't know if it's going to be later this year or uh, after the deadline or whatever. But he's a guy who can who can play on the power play and the penalty kill and at five on five. And the one is right now on right wing. They've got Cassian and Neal on the top two lines, and that's working really well. But I wonder as the season goes on and they're trying to connect guys out and move guys in and Benson and say Marodi are being tried. I wonder if Yamamoto's early start is kind of putting him in maybe the conversation, at least among the coaches for a recall later in the year. Well, the way I kind of wonder if it doesn't unfold as the year goes on, obviously injuries and performance in Bakersfield will have a lot to do with this. But I wonder if we don't see the Shahan line, or maybe not even necessarily the Shahan line, but the most of it, how it's constituted right now. If you have three players who play a defensive bottom six role, and then your other bottom six line is some combination of Marodi, Benson, Yamamoto, and and one veteran in there. So so two of those three younger guys and, and a veteran. And that's sort of a softer minute scoring line. I, uh, I don't know if that's ideal in terms of getting the minutes, because if you do that, there are going to be nights they don't play a lot, uh, where you're defending a lead early and so on. But um, I, I think if those guys are going gangbusters at Christmas, or if, if two, two of the three are, that, that's something you look at and... Um, you bump out and and part of that's predicated on the guys currently in the in the roles not doing the job but i think at that point you you look at reconstituting your bottom what your more offense oriented bottom six line with with youth is that it, it, does that make sense to you or what do you think yeah i think that's all fair the one guy that we haven't mentioned who i think might uh, put a fly in the ointment is Nigard, who I think they like a lot because of his speed. I don't know how he works into your scenario, but I overall I agree with you. I would just insert Nigard as an option as well. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He's uh, he's an interesting, interesting player. But then he's a guy too who we haven't really seen him in a defensive role uh, so far. But 
he, he can slot in in multiple roles in the NHL. I think he's, he's a guy who could be on your defensive line. He could be on your offensive line. You, you can use him wherever. And, and I think he'll, he'll, um, adapt to it. Yeah. He's a little bit of a buzzsaw too. He's got speed and, yes. and, and decent hands, but he's a, he's a, a um, he's got Lander had that too, where he could be a nuisance, right? And he has that. Except that uh, Nygaard's a lot faster than Lander. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, we're we're, we're in danger of going down the Anton Lander well again, so I'll leave it at that. But uh, (laughs) I I love Nygaard's speed. I I think of the the depth guys that that Holland brought in this this summer, him and Shahan are the two that I I look at and I go, maybe maybe those are our Oilers beyond this year. I agree totally. I think they've been... Shahan has been a revelation, as has Nigard, although we haven't seen him as much uh, because of the injury. I really like both of them. John, this was enjoyable. I'm, I'm getting to uh, enjoy these little visits we have. Yeah, I, I'm. it's funny. You know, I was when they told us we we're going to do the podcast, I'm like, oh, man, now I've got to talk to Al three times a week. But it's it's been really <laughs> good. And you've been so nice to me. I'm, I'm always mean to well, you and you're nice to me. And I, I appreciate that. Well, the first couple were rough. But when I started drinking alcohol during these things, I just... <laughs> It's it's the show's really come alive for me. <laughs> okay, so so next time we do this, I'll pour myself a, a thing of scotch, and uh, I'll suddenly be pleasant. <laughs> Stranger uh, okay. things have happened. There you go, John. All the best, and to everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Oil Cam Podcast. <laughs>